it's incredible man like the power like the the distance people will travel and the the money they'll spend in the town for the experience and um I, I don't think there's anything like it like i'm the biggest fan right like i love being on the trail i love building trails i love the people that uh it attracts to these towns you know like Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Episode 114 features Greg Williams the executive director and mastermind behind the Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship, Connected Communities, the Downeyville Classic, and a whole bunch of other stuff. What can I say about Greg Williams other than kick back and learn about all of his great ideas? <laughs> Kettle Mountain Apparel, a brand run by mountain bikers, hikers, trail runners, and travelers who believe the world needs more exceptionally designed and crafted apparel that is also really versatile. Kettle Mountain offers a lifetime guarantee on everything and is focused on creating apparel that can do more and last you a lifetime as they will repair it forever. Shop Kettle Mountain Apparel using kettlemountain.com backslash Josh, and you will not only be getting yourself some of the best clothing on the planet, you will also be supporting the Trail Effect podcast with your purchase. You can also find this link in the show notes. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts, such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with taking Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. I'd also like to thank all the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. Now on to the Trail Effect with Greg Williams and the Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship. I thought we were done. <laughs> we're just hitting record now. Sorry. All the good stuff was said. We're going to keep everything PC from this point forward, right? Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Okay, let's do it. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Greg William Williams. Greg is the executive director of the Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship located in the Lost Sierra. And I'm saying the Lost Sierra because it's located in multiple communities, even though it's probably most famously known for Downeyville. How's it going today, Greg? Going great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. This has been one that I've wanted to get a, a, a recording that I've wanted to get forever because of what you guys are doing in your region. And it's, I've said in, in a lot of shows that I've recorded that I have like a bucket list of three places I really want to get to for mountain biking. Well, now it, it grows, but the original three bucket list places were Downeyville, Knoxville, and Eastbrook, Vermont for Kingdom Trails. Yeah. So far, I've only knocked off. Knoxville, because it's only 12 hours from where I live. Oh, well, we got to get you to Downeyville. I know. You know? It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's all right. You might like it. There's some good trails there. There is. Well, Reno in, yeah. in April is, is coming up for the uh, Professional Trail Builders Association and American Trails and World Trails Super Conference or whatever it is. Yeah, I'll be presenting there. So come on down, everybody. Yeah. Come to Reno. <laughs> What is it? America's biggest little city or something like that? Uh, biggest little city. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into some of your early years because there might be a person or two, although it'd be strange, that has never heard of the Sierra Boots Trail Stewardship or Downeyville or Quincy or all the other places that you're in. And kind of like talk about how one early mountain bike ride when you were 17 years old changed the tra- trajectory for all of this. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, Downeyville like shaped me, you know, like my, my riding style, like how many sandwiches I pack on a ride. Um, yeah. So my, my heritage is, uh, is Northern Sierra Miwok. And, uh, I grew up in a little town called Nevada city, which is just South of Downeyville on the South Uber river. And so, um, growing up, my, my dad had this, uh, old Jeep and we would take a month in the summer and, uh, we would drive this Jeep through the three forks of the Yuba. And we would end up, uh, in like near Downeyville, this place called Indian Valley, which actually, you know, backtrack a bit, like, you know, to where my tribe was in Nevada city and, uh, they were massacred by miners and my great, great, great grandfather fled north up into uh, the Yuba River, the North Yuba River. And by the time the miners got up there, you know, he was very intimate with the canyons and, you know, and w- knew where the gold was. And so instead of running again, he started leading. And so he led pack mules and he helped develop a lot of the routes that Downeyville is famous for today. And so growing up, it was just like, you know, there wasn't a lot of pride behind being native, you know, it was like, oh yeah, you're an Indian, like my dad would say, <laughs> you know, and but um he had these old maps from the gold rush, and we would take uh, you know, be in this Jeep banging around on these like back roads. And um, usually where my dad like got the Jeep stuck is where we camped uh one time for 10 days in the same spot till somebody came and helped us get out of there. So and then as a teenager growing up in Nevada City like getting bored, you know, getting into some trouble. My parents bought me a mountain bike and I ended up hooking up with these hippies in Nevada city. And we would just ride everywhere to the river, you know, like we're going all day, like ride 50 miles and spend, you know, the day swimming at the river and crawl our way back out at sunset. And then I was like, we got to go to Downeyville. Like we got to come check this place out, you know? And so I started going up there by myself and then started bringing friends once I kind of had an idea of like where to take people. And I mean, we're like, this is like before any suspension bikes or, you know, I had a, I had a Cannondale, uh, M 800 at first. And then I got a Yo Eddie and that was like the most badass bike ever. Right. And then stuck all kinds of suspensions on that thing. You know, the first rock shock and like the old Gervin, like, uh, soft ride flex stem, you know, like you name it. I had that on that bike and, and just started like exploring, getting lost and, um, and started to figure out Downeyville, you know, and realized like after riding to the top a couple of times, uh, with my thumb out the whole way, hoping for like a lift that, uh, man, people probably pay to get guided and like to get a lift here. And so, uh, in 1991, I guided my first, uh, mountain bike trip up there unofficially and then these these guys were like from fairfax like bay area like california and they were like holy shit man this is like really good you know do you have any like brochures or pamphlets and so you know like went to the copy store and like printed up some stuff and uh 
and started taking people, got permits um, to be able to guide. And, you know, I wasn't like making, you know, it was just like a little bit of side money, a little side hustle. You know, I was working at a bike shop and, uh, but yeah, it, it just like people love Downeyville and, and it, you know, like I said, it shaped me, you know? So yeah, it doesn't seem that long ago. It's been 30 years, but it doesn't seem that long ago. It doesn't. Cause I remember all those things that you just listed of, of the different suspension pieces on a bike. We had friends growing up that had the all stop suspension stem and the Garvin flex stem. And I remember the original rock shocks, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I was super thankful when, um, I met Mike Marquez and Rob Roskop with Santa Cruz bikes. They were on one of like my very first tours and they were like, Hey, you want to try like one of these prototype, like Santa Cruz Tasmans? And I was like, well, yeah, I do, you know? So, you know, I've been riding Santa Cruz bikes ever since, but man, having like full suspension there, I was like, all right, now it's game on, you know? Well, Santa Cruz has proven to be a pivotal supporter of, of your, of the Sierra Boots trail stewardship as well. Yeah. They're our longest standing partner. Honestly, like there were times when I, when I had nothing and, and that company just like helped me through some really tough times, you know, like really took me under their wing and uh you know it's it's very much like a mutual love of the not just the brand or the product but like the people behind it you know it's like it's my family yeah it is it's and it's it was awesome to see them come out with they were one you know there's a lot more companies starting to hop on board now but they were when they came out with their pay dirt fund you know that was i i was super happy to see that because and that they're so forward facing with it yeah well, I mean, they were, they were giving like philanthropically way before that, right? Like for sure in 2004, we didn't do the classic and, um, Santa Cruz was our, like my big sponsor, you know, and they still, you know, gave me the money and allowed me to start the stewardship, allowed me to, you know, keep the lights on in my house, like have shelter food, you know? Yeah. I just, I can't say enough about like how good of a brand they are in terms of how they just care, you know, like they don't have to do that. They just do it because, because that's the kind of people that are behind the scenes there. Yeah. Let's talk about some of their resistance. You know, I just, as we were talking before I hit record, rewatched the movie Dirt Magic, which I highly recommend everyone to watch. And if you've already watched it, watch it again. And maybe two more times after that, because it is a really good, really thoughtful, well, well done movie. And I remember hearing about in the movie, the resistance of mountain bikers coming into Downeyville and kind of what that was like then, you know, let's, let's hear a story or two from that, that maybe was yeah. in the movie. I don't, I mean, there was resistance for sure. There were a couple, I outlived every one of those people, you know, <laughs> but in the beginning it was tough, right? Like Downeyville was um, like a gold town and there, it was a timber town. So there were, there were families living there. There was, you know, the businesses were doing well. And then just through like, you know, environmental regulations, it's like, okay, they're not logging anymore. Like lost a wave of families, you know, working families. And then, you know, gold mining, there was this method called dredging where they basically have kind of like a, it's almost like a little boat, you know, with a motor on it and a big vacuum suction hose that a lot of the miners were using to, you know, suck up all this, all the dirt and everything under rocks. And, um, and then it would bring it up onto this little, uh, boat and then, um, shake the gold off, you know, uh, but they that got, you know, it was illegal. 
basically fishing game wildlife was like hey like this you can't do this anymore and when that happened it was like another wave of working families and like characters that left you know so at that point it was like well now there's like a bunch of spandex people in town you know and i quickly learned like don't wear spandex into these like gold mining towns you know you will get harassed so yeah and and even i mean at the time like you know, when I moved to Downeyville, like my neighbor was the county supervisor and had like a no bikes, like county paid no bike sign hanging from his front door. You know, it was like, what is happening here? You know, but, you know, now you go there and it's like everybody embraces it. You know, like we outlasted them and we brought an economy to a place that, you know, I mean, Downeyville would probably still be there because it's the county seat. Um, so there's county jobs, but like those service industry, the restaurants, the motels, you know, they needed it at the time. And so feels good, like being able to be a part of that, you know, to make sure that Downeyville is healthy and, and mountain biking, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say like it saved Downeyville, but it definitely like made Downeyville like what it is now and allowed those business owners to have that opportunity to make money and feed their families. Yeah. And that story is a, you know, it's a pretty familiar story in different places throughout the country. You know, the extractive, the extractive economy disappears. Something else has to backfill that, right? Yeah. And I think what's important with this is that you guys are on the leading edge of this. You know, you're on the forefront of proving to the world, for sure proving to our country, that this is a legit economy that can definitely help. And, and you're right, it, it doesn't, it's not the end all be all, but it definitely can help add to the economy of what, you know, what we have today, especially since more people are getting outside now. Yeah. Well, and you know, like I live in Quincy now, which is just to the North of Downeyville and it's um, the biggest employer here is the mill, you know? So like, we're not, we don't want to see like recreation replace these industries, you know, like we still need, like we need forest health, like fuels management, you know, like we need the mill running. We need those jobs. We're not trying to replace any kind of industries. But it, it like it's a good compliment, right? Like we need all the jobs. We need healthy forests. We need recreation. A lot of people that work at the mill ride bikes or they hike. You know, they ride motorcycles. So it all complements each other and that like, enhances our way of life. So we're not trying to replace any of the industries that are still here. Like gold mining is pretty much gone, you know, but we still need timber. We still need uh, healthy forests. So, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's like you just hit on, we, it's a, it's a lifestyle thing and it helps a community. It helps people want to stay and live in a community. Yeah. Especially when they catch on fire. It's like, what the hell are we all doing here still? Well, there's really good trails, man. I'm <laughs> staying. <laughs> there is a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Kind of reflecting on, so I don't know if, are you guys officially counting this as like 20 years of CR Buttes? Cause it started in 20, in 2003, but really it was unofficially going for probably a good decade before that, right? Yeah. Like when I was getting my permits and um, working for the forest, well, like I did an internship for the forest service when I was um, still like guiding, you know, like the, the forest service person, this guy, Bill Hare was like our rec manager. And he was like, you know, Hey, if you're going to, if you're going to be under permit, you should probably think about like, give him back, you know, like be a steward. Like he really just mentored me. And then I spent a summer, you know, when I wasn't guiding, working with him as just a volunteer 
and mapping out trails and looking at like problem areas of trails, really trying to like understand them better. You know, he had been responsible really for bringing the Downeyville trail system to life, you know, from gold mining to like recreation. So very knowledgeable, like very, um, just like a nurturer and like a mentor. And so, you know, spent like that summer, just, just really learning and pretty early on, you know, like probably like 96, 97, we started doing trail work days together and I would just invite like my friends up, you know, and we'd have, you know, like 10 people. And then, uh, the next time we'd have like 20 people and it, it honestly, like it got to the point where like, there were so many people, we didn't have enough tools. So people were just like standing around drinking beers and we're like, okay, like we need to, we need to organize here. Like this is a great party group and people want to get busy, but we got to put tools in their hands. And so, uh, there was a group of like, there was three of us living in Downeyville in 2000. Well, in 2001, we had this big winter and it wasn't like necessarily like a real, like snowy winter but a lot of moisture and a lot of wind and ended up taking down like hundreds of trees and so in the spring you know i'm like i call my my bill Hare at the forest service and i'm like bill man we got a mess out there dude like the trail crew is going to be busy and uh and bill you know said hey my budget like just got axed i have no funding to send the crew out there He's like, we're going to have to like kind of take matters into our own hands. And so at that time, uh, Mike Farentino, uh, which hopefully, you know, some people probably know Mike. He's like a brother to me. We were living in Downeyville. Another person, uh, Mark Cosby, Cosmo, you know, we're like, all right, well, game on. Like, let's go do this thing. So we went down uh, to our nearest town. We bought a chainsaw, like a really badass, like still chainsaw. We're like, all right, we're going to go get those trees, man. And uh, first tree got the chainsaw stuck. Like, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, it was like, okay, we have this scrunch. Let's try and dig the chainsaw out with the scrunch. Like four hours later, you know, we're like, man, this thing's stuck. So unbolted the motor from the bar and left the chain and the bar in the tree. Went back down to the town, Grass Valley, bought another chainsaw the next day and got that chainsaw free and uh, so we doubled our inventory and you know just like since then it's just been like taking care of it you know like learning taking care of it like having those just those experiences with your friends you know like they're just lifelong when you're like taking care of of yourself and you're taking care of these trails and and then in 2003 Mike and I, we moved out of Downeyville. Uh, my wife at the time was uh, was pregnant with our first um, child. And I, I was like really burned on the classic. Like the county wasn't really working with me very well. There was like some uh, wildlife biologists at the Forest Service that was like, you guys are, you know, disturbing goshawks. And so I was paying, you know, like up to like $15,000 a year for my permit to get like these studies done. And I was like... Oh man, I'm not doing the classic next year. Like we're going to have this kid, like it's stressing me out. And so moved up to Plumas County, the county I'm in now, just North and, and, uh, Mike and I were like, well, what are we going to do? Might as well like do, you know, start this nonprofit, <laughs> you know? So, and then we're like, well, what are we going to call it? You know, it was like, well, you know, 
Downeyville mountain bike organization or whatever. And then we're like, but we ride dirt bikes and we hike, you know? And, uh, and like at that moment, it was like, like the calling it Sierra Beach trail stewardship, like that trail stewardship was like such, you know, you go back in time of like the things that like really made a difference, like being a trail stewardship made all the difference. You know, we could have very easily screwed this whole thing up by being a mountain bike group or a dirt bike group, you know? And so, yeah, we, we named it. Um, Mike wrote some really incredible words around like what our mission was. Uh, I built, I was, I knew how to build websites at the time we built this website and we invited people on the same weekend. The classic was going to be to do, uh, to come up for our first Epic, which was going to be trail work and this big ass bike ride. And we hired uh, this crazy band that we had always hired, the Saddle Tramps, you know, so we had the party, we had trail work, uh, we rode bikes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say like officially 2003 was like when we got serious about it. So that's 20 years of official seriousness. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Everything else was unofficial and not serious before that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, officially... Uh, you know, took my sole proprietorships, uh, my Ube Expeditions bike shop, my uh, Downeyville Classic, my for-profit businesses and started a nonprofit. So poured every single bit of like energy and, and cash that I had in to help support uh, the growth of this organization. Yeah. And that's interesting to even have the bike shop as part of the nonprofit. I think it's a, a, a genius idea. Maybe, maybe you think differently. I don't know, but you know the back, yeah. you know, you know the inner workings, but it is a it's a pretty unique thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I don't recommend, you know, this is not the model. It's built backwards, right? Like we didn't start a nonprofit. Like I took my for profits and established this nonprofit. And, you know, I think what I was like finding was like this pressure of being sole proprietor and i had so many good people around me that came to help for me to for me to benefit is how i felt you know which is like i don't know i'm not comfortable in my own skin as a business owner i guess but i was like all these people are pouring their hearts into this thing for me and it was just like a lot of pressure you know and so and what i really wanted was like my friends and my family around me you know and which that's what the stewardship is now is like this extended family, this like tribe, you know, it feels so good to empower people and to create these jobs. And yeah, I don't, I don't, it's built backwards. <laughs> and the way that it fits is, you know, we use that shop for community outreach and education, you know, like people that are on our tours have a really good understanding of the culture and the environment, you know, any kind of like forest service uh, messaging like you know we share that and then we recruit new members and and new volunteers and um you know so it's like very much like community outreach and engagement is how the shop fits in you know that's actually perfect because one of the topics and kind of the i think the central theme for this whole conversation is the power of trails because it's all modeled yeah. their own trails right yeah it's pretty we call it dirt magic you do. You've made a movie about it. <laughs> it's it's incredible, man. Like the power, like the the distance people will travel and the the money they'll spend in the town for the experience. And um I, I don't think there's anything like it. Like I'm the biggest fan, right? Like I love 
being on the trail. I love building trails. I love the people that uh, attracts to these towns, you know, like most people are pretty awesome. Like they want to help, you know, they're stewards. And I think especially, you know, mountain bikers um, just have this appreciation for a place. And, um, you know, it's like nothing else. It is. Looking back on, you know, the early years to where you are now, I don't, you know, I don't know the full economic layout as far as businesses and employment, but I would argue, I mean, I don't know if I'd argue, but I would venture to guess that you're one of the more sizable employers now in the region. Obviously the mill is probably huge. How many people are you employing now? Uh, well, we've been through some volatile cycles with COVID and then fires. Um, you know, like 2021, we had 72 employees and um, 30 of them were youth. So 18 year old high school students. We have a, a like a world class program that we put over 100 kids through to train them and certify them and employ them. But yeah, like 2021, we had 72 employees and the Dixie Fire, which is California's largest fire, started and we went to 13 employees overnight. So uh, very traumatic, you know, and and then clawed our way back to uh 2022 we had 67 employees um again bringing those youth crews back we're sitting like around you know 20 19 to 21 like that zone of full-time year-round employees so yeah like we've been super uh able to figure it out i guess you know even in the darkest of times is like keeping each other here keeping our families here and, um, you know, recreations like provided that. And, you know, we also do, you know, like with the trail crews, it's like we're doing watershed work and habitat protection, you know, by having good trails, like keeping people on the trail or not out like squashing endangered frogs, you know. Um, and now we have a whole boatload of uh, of like fuels management and recovery from these fires, you know, like a lot of hazard tree removal and you know, drainages that need to be rebuilt. And, uh, you know, like when a fire like that size comes through, man, it's like unbelievable. Like the kind of destruction that happens in some of the cases, you know, like the roots of the trees, like will burn for months and then create these big holes, you know? So until you really get a big winter on there and things get put out, you know, you have fires burning under the ground. So you don't, you know, now we're kind of addressing a lot of that and we'll be, kind of in this recovery mode for maybe like a generation, you know, which is kind of hard to think about and hard to say, but if it wasn't for these trails being here, we'd, we'd all be gone. Like, why would we hang out and wait for the next one? You know, these damn trails are so good. We all stay. (laughs) Let's talk about the, uh, the students. Cause you say certifications, but let's dive into that. Like what that actually means in terms of like legit lifetime life skills. Yeah. So we, um, we recruit and employ, uh, high school students. Uh, it started as just like a kind of a a Quincy Plumas County based program. Um, and then we started expanding it like into Downeyville and it really was just because of where the funding was coming from, you know, like we had to focus our efforts in one region and now like we're trying to fund it just, just through donations and like, you know, programs like pay dirt and, other philanthropic uh, efforts, but we recruit students all throughout, uh, you know, our Connected Communities Project footprint. So uh, into Reno, Truckee, 
you know, Downeyville all the way up into uh, this place called Susanville, uh, Butte County. So if those if those kids are going to high school in those in those communities, they're able to apply. We we typically bring on like any depending on the funding that we have, like anywhere from like 10 to 30 kids. So they're able to apply. We get like usually around 90 applicants. Uh, this is like a really sought after program. Some kids are showing up like wearing suits, like, the, you know, they're like, I want this gig. I've heard great things about it. And so they come on, they get, they get certified, um, you know, first aid, they're getting um, certified on like, you know, building drainages and, you know, like tread lightly, like they get some education on, you know, like dealing with motorcycles and and mountain bikes and then what makes a good trail, you know, like kind of while they're out there. And then these kids, like a lot of them are doing backcountry hitches. So they're camping in the backcountry. So they're like cooking, cleaning, working with each other. And some of these kids like haven't been away from their parents. You know, there's like 15 to 18 year olds uh, that are out there like living in the woods. And, uh, you know, it's just like, such an emotional thing when they get through this and and we graduate them you know we we give them you know high fives and certifications and their parents are just like my kid is different now right like this kid like cleans his room like has just this new perspective like it's just like so rewarding you know it's like one of our favorite programs and um i i think just like the the how the parents feel about it is probably like the most empowering when you're a parent and you have kids and you just watch these parents just go, Oh man, this is like the the best thing my kids been through, you know? And some of those kids, you know, they stay like, we have a couple of them that are still working on our pro crew. Some of them leave, some of them might come back, but these are life skills, you know, that um, they're getting paid. They're actually getting college credits at our feather river college. It's a junior college here in Quincy. We have a trail builder curriculum through that college. So they're getting college credits, you know, which hopefully encourages them to go on to go to school. Yes. I mean, it's a prod, it's a program we've developed over the last probably 12 years. So like, we're pretty good at it. And uh, yeah, one of the, one of the more, you know, one of the programs we're like more proud about. Yeah. And I mean, especially in today's world, like and kids today don't go venture on their own, like maybe United back in the early nineties and mid nineties. Like, could you imagine t- seeing t- today's kids doing what you did on your first trips on your mountain bike to Downeyville, you know, when you weren't with your parents in the Jeep? Yeah. You know, what's awesome is some of these kids do that. <laughs> they just have better equipment. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know how good they have it. They don't. They don't realize what it was like with cantilever brakes and head angles, yeah. and like road bikes and. Yeah. Riding a flex stem. Everybody should do that. <laughs> <laughs> just once though yeah just as a reminder of what it's really like and what it could yeah. be especially when the spring pops out of it and the whole thing like collapses you know <laughs> but, yeah that's a whole other story carry a pocket knife so you can whittle up a piece of wood to fill that gap <laughs> well hopefully they have they would have that life skill to be able to yeah. problem solve that right <laughs> no doubt Let's go on to your connected communities because you got a huge, po- not nobody can see what we're seeing because we don't do video here, but you have a huge co- connected communities poster or I don't know what you want to call it behind you. It's taken up half your wall, you know, yeah. it's, and it's awesome because 
And I know like, so we have a mutual friend, Mason, who is your shop manager. And I've always, I've thought for years, it'd be so awesome to connect the communities where I live. Like there's all these small towns and everything is it's, we live in what's called the Driftless area and it's super steep and rugged for the upper Midwest. And we had, and you have like snowmobile trails that connect these communities in the winter, but we don't, we didn't have mining. Like we didn't have the gold rush like you guys have, but let's, let's talk about kind of where the connected communities concept came from. And then on top of that, like how broad this really is, because it's huge. Yeah, this is like, um, like ultimate moonshot, right? You know, where you're like, what if we did this? And then, so I got, um, I got invited to present at this uh, conference called Mountain Ventures, and it was happening in Mammoth. And I was like, what am I going to talk about? You know, like I could, like, yeah, we build trails, we do this, you know, and, uh, and we get asked a lot, you know, we did, you know, like these neighboring communities that are surrounded by national forests, like beautiful places, like, man, could, like, could we have trails? Like our economy sucks too. Like, could you, what would it be like, you know? And so planning for this mountain ventures, like, what am I going to talk about? And pulled in one of my board members, uh, Greg Carter. And I'm like, dude, what about this thing? Like if we tried to connect these communities, you know, and we're like, Oh, connected communities. And so we spent basically like two days, like with post-it notes and like a big map of the area and just started like, you know, just brainstorming of like, what would it be like? And what, what would the, how would the trails be built? And like, where would they go? And, you know, we got to have main street connections to get people into the towns, you know, so they don't have to get into their car and kind of just the like very broad strokes of what it was going to be. And then I went down to this mountain ventures, like packed house, you know, and, uh, presented this thing and thought like, all right, well, I'm done with my presentation. Well, this guy stands up and, uh, he's the executive director of this state ran organization called Sierra Nevada Conservancy. He's like, I'm in, I want to help fund this. Like, let's do this thing. And so it's like, oh shit. All right, here we go. You know? And so really took like a year and a half of um kind of defining you know like what i had just presented like be real about it like what are the steps like how are we gonna you know and so wrote wrote this like really great grant and uh got funded in the winter like late winter of 2019 like you know right before christmas go to this meeting they're like oh yeah you're in trails master plan connected communities and then by the time that the agreement was in place, it was like, we're in COVID. So like part of the plan was going to have like these town hall meetings in each of the towns, you know, and bring the communities together. And, and I was like, well, that's not happening, you know? And so just like formulated this plan of like, man, how are we going to reach these people in a time when nobody can go outside or do this or that, you know? And so we we created like these little kiosks. We had 16 of them and we would move them around through the different towns and we would take out like uh, targeted ads through Facebook and Instagram, like a whole new way of doing business kind of thing, you know? And we would put these kiosks in the essential businesses. So like banks, hardware stores, grocery stores, like at the gas station. And in this kiosk would be like these little paper packets you know, with maps and the survey and a Dropbox, you know, and, and also like a link to the website, you know, people could, we also had everything on the online, 
So people could do it either online or they could find these these uh, booklets that were regionally focused. So the maps were specific to the town that you picked up in. And so we're like, well, we'll just see what happens, you know, and like 1500 people filled out this thing and 800 of them actually wrote in the maps and circled places. And, you know, we're like, oh, okay, people are paying attention here, you know, and so. I just, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how the project happened was Sierra Nevada Conservancy funded this thing. And then this whole journey of like how we did outreach and how we engage the communities and the process, you know, that we've used is going to be part of like this recipe book. Like once we, once we publish this trails master plan, we want it to be um, like a guidebook, like for other communities all around the world to be able to like, you know, we're going to show the steps we took and we think they're good ones. There were some that we took that weren't good ones. We're going to list those too and be like, this didn't really go the way we thought it was, you know, but all in all, like, I think whether people visit the lost Sierra or live in the lost Sierra, this trails master plan will be like a guiding document, you know, that others can use in their community for how they engage with land managers, how they make sure that the communities are aware, how they get uh, buy-in, so that's really like what we're working on now is like, the you know, we call it a recipe book for dirt magic. Well, and like the radius on this is huge. Like, I don't know if people are like, you look at a map, it's a map, right? But like it goes over to Reno. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's six counties, two states. It's four national forests, you know, like 10 different districts of forests. And we have support from all of them, you know, like we have, we have even region five, which is all of California's national forests. We're operating under an agreement with region five. That's like the top level. And then we have, uh, operating agreements with the Plumas, Tahoe, Lassen and Humboldt, Toyabi national forests. Um, so there's never been a project, uh, in this region for sure that had this kind of like bipartisan land manager support you know we have six counties that are all signed on to this four cities um so we you know a lot of what we did during covid was like ask for letters of support through county and city and state um you know asking for a letter of support is probably like the best thing you could do because you're not asking for money um and you when you ask the letter of support from like your county supervisors they have to know about the project so then it's like well what are you asking for you know, like they have to learn about the project and it's like a really easy thing for them to, to get behind, you know? So again, part of the recipe book, the different steps. Well, and it's multi-use. Like we're not talking just like some hike only or, you know, non-motorized stuff. I think there's aspects of non-motorized in it if I did my research properly, but we're talking like you can take an e-bike on it. You can take a mo- motorcycle on it, you know? Yeah. We have, um, I mean, we didn't have them in the beginning. We had like this idea that it should be, you know, multiple use. But like now I I think we've just anything we approach like as a new project, like we have this acronym idea. So inclusion, diversity, equity and access. Like how can we create basically access for everybody? Doesn't matter like how you recreate, you know, and there might be some factors that limit like who can be out there. But like going into a project with this idea that everybody should be welcome you know, and how can we structure the project to allow everybody to be out there? Cause we all love this place. We all love the outdoors. We just might choose to recreate 
differently. It doesn't mean we don't care about it or won't give back, you know? So, and we're trying to create an economy in a place, you know, these are 13 of these 15 towns are severely disadvantaged economically. And it's because the jobs have come from logging and they've come from mining and they're on national forest land. So recreation, you know, is the next thing. So why would we start to exclude people that could get to the main street, that could get to the restaurant, to get to the motel, you know? And again, there, there might be factors that like we can't, not everything can be for everybody all the time, but uh, certainly like entering into the planning stages, like eyes wide open for everybody. Well, I got some good stuff that's maybe going to sidetrack stuff a little bit and keep you laughing, hopefully, and get you into some stories. Are you been doing some some behind the scenes research on this thing or what? I have. <laughs> okay. We're going to go into some Downeyville classic stuff and we're going to bounce around a little bit with that. Okay. Can you tell me about the time that you thought it was a good idea to float on the Yuba River on inner tubes during the Downeyville classic? <laughs> you know, a lot of these ideas started at the bar in Downeyville <laughs> and some of them still exist today, but that was one that it was like a one and done. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're like, oh man, it's going to be awesome. And we're going to do this river float. And then it wasn't so awesome uh, for some people. We we basically like, we bought all these big truck inner tubes, you know, like giant inner tubes and loaded them into a U-Haul box van and took our Yuba vans and like shuttled people up to to a spot like we shouldn't have gone as far up as we did. That's the problem when you have like, you know, 14 beers before you go, like you're like, we're going to go even farther up, you know? And so, yeah, we went up there and we started on like launching people and uh, some people like were riding the inner tubes, you know, the wrong way. Some people had no business being out there. I think one of like the, like when I knew things were getting serious, uh, Gary Gleason, who's like one of my brothers, uh, you know, one of the managers at WTB, we met each other like very early on, like early nineties, long haired hippies riding mountain bikes. So he's, he's floating with me and we pull it, we like make it into this like swim hole through these rapids. And, and he's like, holy shit, man, that was like pretty serious, you know? And I'm like, I know. And then we look and here comes a flip-flop, like nobody, but just a flip-flop coming down the rapids. And, and Gary, he's like, that's my brother's flip-flop. I'm like, huh, all right. And then like a couple seconds later, here comes a hat. And he's like, that's my brother's hat. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> so... His brother Drew made it okay, but um, yeah, two people uh, got ambulance rides, and uh, I mean, it was very memorable. But it was also like we're not doing that again. But we do encourage people to like intertube at their own discretion, you know. But that was the Yuba Invitational was the one and done. Well, I got another good one for you. You guys got the ramp jump which I believe is officially called Ron's House of Big Air Ramp Jump. Yeah. How about the first year of actually building the ramp jump and maybe taking cabinets out of your shop to pull it off? Oh, man. All right. You dug deep. Yeah. Uh, did I say, like, opening a bike shop was not, like, the most financially secure thing you should do? So, you said you've done things backwards. 
Yeah, I had I had a shop um, in Nevada City. Very, you know, I had a couple shops in Nevada City. This one in particular, like, put in all these cabinets, and then I was like, uh, just moved. I'm like, this isn't happening, and so, you know, that's when I really focused my efforts in Downeyville. But I had all these cabinets, and so basically just took them down and propped them up on some rocks. And my dad uh, helped me, like, just put, you know plywood over the top of them and uh and we created like the very first river jump in downeyville with yeah with my with my store cabinets and so um and my dad would like after that it was like that was his his gig you know every year the classic he had uh friends that would come up that are just like i'm working with ron all weekend like doing carpentry and the, the jump just kept getting like bigger and you know better and um you know, and then my dad passed away. I was like, all right, this is Ron's house of big air, you know, but that's one of the ideas that like is stuck. Yeah. It, it's such a great time. Like that's, I think when we started doing that was when too, like the, the event became like a festival. Like it, we always called it a festival, but it was all like, you know, at the end of the day, it was like dudes drinking beer at the river, riding bikes, you know? And once we brought the river jump in and then uh, we added like a wild Island uh cosmos wild island and just like this family friendly atmosphere down at the river that's when it became like a festival like you know families like parents started planning like their kids like summer vacation around coming to downeyville and would come for the whole week you know it's just like and it's just that whole environment of being down at the river after you know especially for the racers like this long dusty bumpy ride you know and then to be able to just like end up at like the most beautiful swimming river you know in the world and then to like witness this this river jump activity you know there's like nothing like it speaking of the river jump any uh any time that you maybe did a midnight ramp jump test sessions oh all right (laughs) (laughs) yeah well again uh we were at the employees for this by the way (laughs) you pay these people (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um all right. Yeah. We were at the bar and um Red Bull was like kind of a new drink. So what do we call them? Blasters or something. Like Jägermeister. Oh yeah, Jaeger bombs. Oh man. I totally remember those. Makes my stomach turn even thinking about it. So yeah. So um one of the kids that was like working at the bar at the time like his dad's a county planner the guy who like gave me the permit to do the classic you know he's like let's go to the river jump he pulls his truck in shines the headlights down there and uh and we're just like i don't there was only a couple jumps that happened and one of them was me like we're in our underwear down there people are just yelling and screaming it's like full crazy my buddy like goes in right after me and almost like lands on me in the river in the dark. And then my dog at the time was like this 150 pound mastiff. Well, she's going to jump in and save us and starts like clawing us. We make it out of the river and then across the bridge, we see headlights and somebody yells, it's the cops. Well, we could have just stood there and been like, whatever, you know, instead everybody like, starts running and scrambling and i'm like well shit i'm not getting caught down here and so you know it's like everybody's going every different direction 
and uh and i end up like having to push somebody out of the way so i don't get caught well i get back to my room and uh and my wife at the time comes in and she's like skinned up knees and all dirty and i'm like what happened she's like some asshole pushed me down in the middle of the dirt of the dirt lot so i i didn't tell her at the time that it was probably you know me that pushed her down i didn't know it was dark you know uh yeah those are the kind of like you know every year it seems like there's some kind of story like that and i guarantee everybody has a hundred stories about their time with the classic you know it's just one of those one of those special things man like the universe opens up and all these people are there you know it's a town of a hundred full-time residents and four thousand people show up to to have a good time it's like it's like a grateful dead show you know all these people that don't have tickets that just come to be part of the party this is going to be your 25th anniversary of the downeyville classic Right. Yeah, it took 29 years to get to the 25th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I, I, like, I don't feel that old, right? Like, I feel like it was just yesterday that, uh, that we started this thing. But um, there's so many good people, so many good memories, so many good friends, like my kids growing up around it. You know, it's like, got to keep it going. You got any good Mark Weir stories since he's like the king of... Of the Downeyville Classic? The king of the shit talking of the Downeyville Classic. Yeah. There's that too. Yeah. I mean, another, you know, like my brother, right? I mean, um, unbelievable, like person, right? Like just pours his heart into something and like, look out, like you're not telling this guy no. Um, yeah, I, I have a million stories about Mark. You know, I think just like, the love you have for somebody like as a friend and just to watch him like dedicate, like we worked really hard to pull that race off. He worked really hard to win that race. Like it was like his everything, you know, and he would show up like, you know, at least a week early and would help us like work on the trails. You know, I think that was like his, like making sure he didn't get a flat tire or something like his, like honoring the mountain, like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to make, make sure like I'm helping, I'm working, you know? And then the, the, like the level of like talent that he like attracted to, to try and come beat him. was just like game on man. Like, yeah, come and try and beat where he knows his course like really well. So, um, and, and just, you know, his fitness level at the time, he never won the all mountain. You know, I think like maybe his top finish, like in the cross country was like maybe a fourth or fifth, you know, and at the time, like Jason Moshler was winning the all mountains and, um, you know, Jason grew up in Nevada city. He was younger than me. And I would, you know, we'd see each other on the trail. Like I was usually like, you know, smoking pot at the river going swimming. And Jason was like training and we'd be like, Hey, what's up, man. You know? And then years later, uh, you know, those two like were, a phenomenal like team you know when they were riding for wtb together and you know like they owned that race for a long time between the two of them yeah and you i mean carl decker's been there adam craig has been there yeah jeff kabush i mean you look at like the we have an all-mountain trophy that celebrates you know like kelly emmett katarina nash you know those are like four or five time all-mountain champion winners you know carl decker Carl Decker and Jason Mosler, I think, are both like four-time winners. 
but they dedicated like their their whole year to that race you know and that's that's what i love about bringing it back like i know people are like training their asses off right now like they want that you know well, before we hit record on this, we were talking about, I had brought up a story about going to Mammoth in the early mid nineties and how that would, how you guys are under a lot of snow right now, but talk about how you've had to like basically get hundreds of people out there to shovel the course. Yeah. Well, so this year, you know, the, the race has kind of bounced around, you know, like when we first started, it was the second weekend of August, uh, right before clamper weekend, Eclampus Vitus in Downeyville, which, uh, Wow, that's a, that's a circus. So you know, August, and then the last year when we when we started this race, it was called the Coyote Classic. I had a company called Coyote Adventure Company. That's what I was guiding under. We call it the Coyote Classic. And uh, in 1997, it was a really big snow year, and we actually pushed the event into September. And then when I started the Downeyville Classic the next year in '98, we brought it back into August. And then for whatever reason, like we, we brought it into July in the biggest winter on record basically. And so, yeah, I was like, how are we going to pull this thing off? And I'll never forget, like there was this, this old guy, Barney that lived in town and he was older than me. So I never kicked his ass because out of like, like respect of elders, but he would always like bad mouth me or, you know, and I walked by one time and he, and he, the same year and he's like, well, I guess you're going to have to cancel the classic this year, you know? And I was like, all right, challenge game on, like, let's go. And so, uh, I went to the County and I said, Hey man, if we're going to keep this race, like we have to plow snow. And so, and this economy depends on it. Like gave them the whole, you know, the whole talk and, and they're like, all right, we'll put up 10 grand. So we were able to hire like a, a guy with a DA tractor to open up like the road sections on the top. Well, then we had like the single track to deal with. And so, uh, 4th of July weekend, a bunch of beer invited, like uh, we had a hundred friends come and we just partied down and we shoveled like shoulder to shoulder, basically shoveled a single track in and, and we got the race we we opened it up like we had the race it wasn't the the same course you know we had to divert like the cross country used to go on a different trail we we took them we took everybody down the downhill butcher ranch and if it was the event was a week later the snow all melted anyway you know but yeah it was like at the time it was like wow we you know this is amazing like we got it done and i think that's just like the power like what i love about this like community is like, we did that like shoulder to shoulder. We shoveled like for miles and we got it open. We did it. You know, it felt so good. Like we all, we, like a group of us posted up like during the race at this place called the waterfall. And we were just like, so excited to have that race go off and yelling and screaming at people, encouraging them. Like we all lost our voices, you know, it was just like, poured our hearts into this thing and we did it. And it's just like, those are the feelings that like keep you going. You know, it's not the, the complainers or, you know, like there's so many elements of the, of the classic where you're like, wow, I don't want to do that again. You know, but that was one of the times where I was like, it was so hard. It was like, it almost didn't happen. And you have all these people like showing up that have your back. And it's just like, man, this feels so good. Like, let's keep doing this. 
Not that I want to do it again. You know, like it's in July 13th through the 16th uh, this year. I don't want to shovel any snow, but um, if we need to, like when we make the call, like I look forward to everybody being there. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of people looking forward to being there as well. In my opinion, and this is just my opinion, that is the soul of mountain bike racing are events like the Downeyville Classic. You know, I mean, mountain bike racing is, it is what it is today. You know, it's, it's, I mean, you remember the days of like when cross country courses were like super long you did like a lap or maybe two and now it's yeah. totally changed. Oh, well, our cross country, you go from one town to the next. Yeah. Over, and that's how it should a be. Big ass mountain, you know? And, um, this is the most important mountain bike race in the world. There's no doubt about it. You know, this is the all mountain world championships bring it and uh and these courses are like there's nothing like them you know like this is like mountain riding this is like you know people are packing sandwiches on these races like it's a lot you know and they're not bringing their skinny little tires like you better bring like an all-mountain bike and you know when we started like when we took the year off in 2004 you know we we'd launched the stewardship didn't do the classic and then going into 2005, it was like, how are we going to bring this thing back and make it special? You know, we already had the downhill, you know, it was like, let's make people race both days. Like no more just down, show up for the downhill. Like you got to do them both and we're going to weigh your parts. We're going to mark your parts. Like you can't just like lighten up for one day and go heavy the next, you know? And I think it really like, that's like right, right around the time, like the blur was coming out from Santa Cruz. Like it really the industry was changing like to have this bike that went up and down like really well and could handle like this major beat down at the same time you know and so you know before enduro racing before super d you know down even was the birthplace of all that stuff yeah so you do have to race both days on the same bike just to kind of yeah. clarify for anyone that might be listening and thinking about what they're going to do yeah, you got to, yeah, Saturday when you show up at the start line, your bike's going to get, if you're racing all mountain, there's only 500 spots. This thing sells out in a second too. So, you know, be ready, be on the keyboard, man, when that thing opens. I know the feeling of that. We have a similar race <laughs> in the upper Midwest that literally broke bike reg last year. It sold yeah. out in literally four seconds and oversold. And then like all these people that got in. Thought they got in, then like an hour later, got emails saying, oh, we screwed up. Like you didn't oh, you actually get in. <laughs> yeah. Race promoter nightmare. But yeah, you when you show up on Saturday, your bike's going to get weighed in. Like your parts are going to get marked, you know, mainly like tires. Like that's a big thing. Yeah. And then Sunday, your bike's going to get weighed again. If it doesn't weigh the same, like, sorry, dude, you're out. So, and you also like, We've established some rules that were the, you know, at first we were just like combined time. And then like Carl Decker shows up, right? Smokes everybody by, I think like four or five minutes in the cross country. So on Sunday at the downhill, he's like, you know, all he has to do is just not flat. Doesn't even have to go that hard. Autopilot you know? the whole way. Yeah. So we have like the Decker rule, which at that point we're like, all right, it's a point system now, you know, like it's points. So you got to do good both days. And the tie goes to the downhill. So that was like a new rule that got, uh, you know, put into place. And then another year we had Nathan Rennie, 
who was racing for syndicate at the time come out and uh and we're like all right well if you don't finish the cross country in three hours you're out you know because we're like he's just gonna like take a nap and you know eat sandwiches on the way like not give it on saturday and then save everything for sunday so you know we we said hey man you got to make this thing in three hours for the for the pro class so there's been some evolutions over the years based around like who showed up and and how what they did yeah that reminds actually reminds me of motocross because it's like in motocross racing it's two moto format and if it goes two one one two and both people have three points Whoever won the second moto wins the overall. Yeah. That's some awesome stuff. What are we, what are we missing here on the, uh, like what, what, what else could somebody expect for 2023? Do you have any tricks up your sleeve as far as like anything new or just going to bring back the same epic greatness that we've talked about here with ramp jumping and bringing the community together? Yeah. I mean, all that's going to be, you know, spot on. You know, the the course has evolved over the years, especially the cross country. Like we've added new stretches of single track. So, um, you know, people that maybe raced it the first couple of years, it's, it's almost like a brand new course. You know, like we've built a lot of new trails and the the classic is a big fundraiser for CRB trail stewardship. So that allows us to like keep building trails, keep these trails maintained, you know, and and uh, like the trails are in really great shape. So people that raced even like in 2019, and coming back, you know, it's going to be four years later that the race comes back. Like these trails are like an in incredible shape, you know, outside of that, like we're hiring more bands, you know, just like stuff that we like, you know, stuff that helps us like keep going and party down, you know, bringing in like this really great caterer uh, to do like the rider meals, you know? So I think just, we always want to make it better. Like we never want like, a year to go by and people be like, well, last year was better. You know, it's like, ah, screw that. Like we want everybody being like, this is the best year ever, <laughs> you know? So uh, I think people can expect that, you know, and then just like the energy of, of being back after four years, like, you know, people are going to be, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be emotional, like seeing friends that I haven't seen for a long time. Like, you know, watching my kid hit the river jump, you know, stuff like that, where it's just like, man, this is what it's about. Like being with your friends and your families and in the mountains and, and then watch people just like turn themselves inside out to try and win this thing, you know, and other people turn themselves inside out, just trying to survive this thing, <laughs> whether you're volunteering or, or racing, you know, it's, it's survival at some points, you know, you can't go hard the whole time. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything that we missed out on that I didn't bring up that you wanted to talk about during this? Because I did get some research done and it was mainly around the fun stuff. Yeah. I think just like pay attention to us here, you know, like we need help. Like we need people donating. We need like whether you're picking up a shovel or you're, you know, contributing to like our five bucks a foot campaigns with, with Santa Cruz bicycles, like our fundraisers, you know, like we're trying to trying to change the world, but we're also trying to like keep our families here, you know, for generations. And, uh, so yeah, help us pour your heart into us. Like we're ready. We'll take it. And for those that may be just coming in there to travel at any point throughout the year for, you know, whether it's, you know, to do their own cross country mission or they're going to get shuttles, like it's not the hardest place to get to really. Like how far Reno's not that far from there. Yeah. Reno's like an hour and a half. Yeah. International airport. 
Come visit us at our Yuba Expeditions bike shop. Come meet Mason, Josh's old uh, high school riding buddy, you know, uh, from Wisconsin. Yeah. Don't wear a Packers hat, though. <laughs> yeah, just like come check it out. Like this is a great place. You know, I think uh, I think it'll be um, worth your while and and a place that you'll come back to. Yeah, I know. It's like I said early on, it's this has been one of my top three bucket list places to get to. And maybe it'll be April, but I'm it might be a little early. I'm thinking. Yeah, April's a little early, but Quincy, Quincy will be good. But you should like buy your plane ticket and come to the classic. I like driving. Oh, well, then start it's, your it motor. Is, it is a drive. <laughs> it is a drive. Yeah. I've well, done it before. Your buddy Mason will be there. He'll party you down. He knows all the ins and outs of it. So. I know <laughs> it's been since high school, since we've actually ridden together. Oh, wow. He went off to college. I went off to college. We never, you know, I'm ba- I live where we grew up still, but he went chasing yeah. owls and then ended up at a bike shop somehow. Yeah. Well, he's, he's doing good. I'm sure he'd love to see you. We'll get out there. There's, I mean, everything about your region always impresses me, whether it's the videos that you guys do. Obviously, we've talked about Dirt Magic a lot, but you guys have a really good, I don't know who you got, who you're hiring for videographers, but it's really professional. Yeah. Only the best. And they're all friends. <laughs> well, that's, I guess that's another good benefit of having a really awesome place to ride and explore and experience because you get really talented people coming in then. Yeah. And, you know, one thing, I guess, you know, this is our 20th year as a, as an, as an organization, but we're going to build our 200th mile of trail this year as well. So, uh, that's going to be a party when we, when we build that 200th mile, we're on track to build, you know, around 200 and probably like hit like the 220 mark this year overall. But when we, when we build that 200th man, it's like, look out, we're going to howl at the moon and, uh, have a good time. So. We'll let you know when that's happening. Yeah, that's all sounds awesome. Well, do you have any, I think the thank yous could probably be endless for you, but do you have anybody specifically you want to shout out to or before we close this one up? Oh man, like the list is long. Just super thankful and grateful just to have this opportunity, you know, like to do something that I love and to uh, have my family with me, you know, my kids growing up and in this place, like, that's important, you know, to give them an opportunity to stay here. Yeah. Yeah. That is important. And, you know, it's something that obviously shaped your childhood into your adulthood and you're still doing it. Yeah. I'm still a kid. Just look old. (laughs) Yeah. Age is just a, just a number that we assigned to something for no, no apparent reason. Yeah. Well, Greg, like to thank you for your time on recording this conversation. It's, it's super, I mean, this is, when this trail effect thing started, it was like, I, I had reached out to Mason a couple of times and then finally he reached up back out to me and I'm like, we got to get Downeyville covered. I did have Kurt on a couple months ago, which was like a total, like, like, Hey, you want to come on? Yeah. I'm available right now. Okay. Let's hit record. Like no prep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's, he's usually wandering around out in the woods. You're lucky you caught him. I know. And that was, he's like, I got a couple hours. Let's just do this. I'm like, perfect. Yeah. We'll totally shoot from the cuff on this. Yeah. I gave him that nickname too, by the way. So you don't get to pick your own nickname. The trail whisperer or the the ass? No, No, the trail whisperer. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know where the ass came from, but you know, (laughs) 
That's that's his that's his given Downeyville name, Trail Whisperer. Yeah, he was even on PBS last week. I know. He's popular. I did watch that too. It was good. And he made the PBS uh, host go to work too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some tools. Yeah. Go do some brushing for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to hit stop on the record here. Okay. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you have heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. I'd also like to thank all the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. With that, the value for value concept is something that has caught my attention. If you find value in the Trail Effect podcast, you now have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for Trail Effect. For additional ways to help support the Trail Effect podcast, check out the partnerships and affiliate link on the Trail Effect website, where you can find links to Kettle Mountain Apparel, Worldwide Cyclery, and Trail One components. By using the affiliate links found at www.traileffectpodcast.com, a small commission will come back to the podcast, which helps keep this podcast going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening.